Welcome back to another episode of Pro Running News. It's Matt and Dave speaking all about the World Athletics Championships Budapest that just finished up. Dave, you watched almost all the events over in London. I've been in Kenya over the last couple of weeks, so my coverage was a little bit sort of on and off depending on how the internet was and how the coverage was. But um, yeah, thanks for joining me on the call today. No, thank you, mate. It's uh, it's good to be back. Uh, as we said, we'll drop these a little bit more sporadically, but this was uh, this is news. This is stuff that needs to be talked about. This isn't going to be a recap of results. It's not going to be who won what. Uh, it's going to be big themes we took from it, interesting insights, some weird things that happened, and and we'll go from there because you know it's not a results show. Uh, probably the first thing, uh, and I was actually tweeting about this. I very rarely tweet or whatever it is that they now call it on X, but whatever that is, I was doing some of that, um, and it's very rare. But talking about sports science, and I think. Um, We've talked before on earlier episodes uh, around coverage and why running's dying and why it's struggling. And I think one of the things that is helping is is sports science bringing context to what's happening at these championships. Um, and that just gives you some insight, especially, and I think, you know, we're here about running. I'm fundamentally a track and field fan. I'll watch all of it. And I watched most of it. I, everything I could almost I was watching high jump and pole vault and discus and whatever else I could watch. So I will watch most things. Um, and I think it's making more difference in field events. And um, probably the best one I thought was actually the live points tallies during a race in the decathlon. So they were running the 1500 and you would see the live points tallies changing. And I thought that was just a really helpful for people to understand because you've got no context of what it actually means. And their time is irrelevant. I was actually unsure how fast they were running because I was like, they look like they're running really slowly. It, I'm sure they aren't, but it just compared to the track athletes, the true like track athletes, they they were running slowly. They're running 430 for a 1500, which is, you know, it's about like it's normal people pace. And that's what happens when you're a decathlete, right? It's it's really impressive, but yeah, it's not, it's, it's not going to get you a, a look in at the 1500 uh, start line. So yeah, it's cool to understand that, you know, 50, like their time is largely irrelevant, but yeah, there was that. So I thought they did a really good job with some of that stuff. Um, and there was a couple other examples here. Um, I, you know, so there was a couple of bad examples as well, to be fair. Like, let's let's talk about the other side of this. And one of them was there'd be a pack of runners in, say, the 10,000 or the 5,000. Uh, and they'd say, oh, this guy is 0.1 of a, like, is, is one meter behind whatever else or something like that or whatever. And it's just like, or, or 0.2 of a second. You're like, this is irrelevant. They're in a pack. It's a choice. They're, they're choosing to sit there. And that choice is very calculated. They are actually gaining something from that. This is a stupid thing to be like telling us about. Whereas then you would have, there was, you know, in the 5,000 heats, a young girl from, geez, I can't remember now. Let me, I found it. I wrote it down here. I think it, she was from, she was like 19, really impressive. A Latvian. Yeah, I was right. I can't remember her name now, but she, uh, Corner, the Corner, C-A-U-N-E. She went off the front, like proper off the front and was like 150, 200 meters clear at one point um, of the pack. And ended up running really well and ran away into the semis, which was a great way for her to do it. We can talk about that tactically, but they didn't really say how far ahead she was in distance, which is actually very relevant. I want to know, like when she's that far ahead, distance is very relevant. She's half a lap ahead. She's 200. Like I want to see that deficit on the screen. So I think um, they're probably getting there and they're working on it and, and credit to them. But I think we need to get to that next level, next stage of like, you know, how do we show this in a better way? And, and look, I would love live data from, um, from things like heart rate monitors. And I think, I mean, Ironman have got this. I'm not convinced Ironman's is real. Uh, I think some of that's, it's not quite real. I think it's like near enough and that's good enough. Um, I do know for a fact that there is, there are people working on live tracking for safety and health. 
um, particularly after things like the Pat Tiernan issue at the, I believe that was the Olympics, uh, where he collapsed in the 10,000. They are looking at live tracking of temperature and all those things and looking at technologies to then bring to sports science. And I think that's a great way to go. So watch this space for that in the coming years, I think. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I think the coverage here in Kenya maybe would not might not have been exactly the same as what it was over there in the UK, because I know I was speaking to a friend in Australia who was seeing sort of slightly different um, coverage to me. Um, but yeah, I agree. We did see the decathlon um, updates and I think that was really helpful because it's really hard to stay engaged with, with decathlon if you don't really know where they are at and, and how many yeah. events they've completed and where, where they're at, yeah, et cetera. So, but yeah, no, um, no, it's, it's definitely agree that I think the more statistics, the better, uh, the more engaging it can be. It would be really cool to see live tracking of heart rate, heart rate data, uh, but that obviously requires on the athletes to, to comply with wearing, wearing the stuff as well, which um, they might not all do. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought in general it was it was it was really really um, it was awesome to follow and it was very engaging to yeah. watch, um, especially you know some of the events that uh, that were really close finishes. Last night's men's yeah. five thousand meters was was really I'm really glad I stayed up to watch that. I'm typically getting yeah. to bed at night nine p.m. here in Kenya because they train so early in the in, in the morning they tend to get up and be running by five forty five in the dark uh, and it was at five uh, it was at nine forty p.m. here. But um, yeah, I thought Mo Katia had it until uh, yeah, until the very end there. So that was uh, and, that was a very until he did. Watch. Yeah, I think he thought he had it too. Until I mean, he's yeah. he wouldn't have even seen Yakov until probably what fifteen meters to go. I reckon he was yeah. yeah, and it was amazing how much distance he put on the other three athletes, the two Ethiopians and and then Lewis in in such a sort mm. of short period of time between two fifty to go and one fifty to go. But he is a fifteen hundred, you know, uh, three twenty eight guy. So not not a huge surprise, I guess um but yeah we, we will get back cool. to that because yeah. that's that's one of the key takeaways from this championships that sort of stuff i don't yeah. know if you saw the four by fours it sounds like you didn't they were unbelievable and i'm like let's get some more relays i let's saw just, the women's the relays final. are great yeah the women's final last night that was unbelievable with femme yeah, yeah. coming through yeah. like pacing it like a hero yeah um the commentators were like oh maybe she'll be able to get second and all of a sudden they're like and she's just taken first yeah so um she just paced that so well, so smart, um, technically really astute and, and good for her given the, the struggles at the beginning of the championship. So really yeah. picked herself up well. I think back to like sort of as a spectacle, you know, sports science was helpful. I think the footage in general, I think was really good. And they did some really cool camera angles. They had the stuff along the side of the track during the, the races, which I think was really good to, again, what we're trying to do is it's not for me. I I know that stuff, right? I know how fast these people are, but for the every, every person, it's hard to contextualize how fast a 1500 runner is running or how fast a 5,000 meter runner is running, but it's cool to have the camera alongside them because it gives you some really, really cool context. Um, I also thought some of the angles were great. They had some high angles like above the track, which was really cool to see. Same with the the marathon, actually. They showed some high angles, which is really helpful, again, for distance because they often do this thing where they pan in and out and you're sort of like, are they, is he just on the shoulder or is he hundreds of meters back and they do this you know, they change their camera lens but then when you go up high and you see it from above you're like oh that's that's a couple hundred meters like he's really made a break here and this is very reasonable so seeing that stuff i think it, that's where we've got to get to um you've really got to get to a stage where you're using the cameras to tell part of the story yeah. because otherwise people are not going to understand it and again we're trying to find more eyes right and they're doing this drive to survive net style netflix series that every every sport wants to do they're now doing it and they're talking about noah Lyles, and i think that's great but you will lose people if you don't, if you can't tell the story of the competition when it's happening. The soap opera is one thing, but it's the it's what happening, what's happening in the competition as well that the people need to understand, or else you don't buy in. Absolutely, I agree entirely with the point about the marathon and that camera angle that must have been a drone um, that was sort of 
probably 20 meters up in the air and about maybe 50 to 50 to 80 meters, maybe a hundred meters sort of ahead of, of the athletes that was they were focused on typically the first place. And then the second place, because you could really get a, a feel as to, you know, what that distance was between first and second, when you didn't really have any data to work with at that point in terms of like how far is the gap there, you can sort of really tell. Um, but yeah, that was, that was awesome. Sort of an angle I'd ha- I hadn't really seen before. Um, yeah. And yeah. And like I said, there's those two uh, cameras that were running, alongside both straights in the stadium as well probably yeah. a meter and a half to two meters inside the first lane um and they were regularly flashing to that angle too which was was yeah. almost like you're right next to them um yeah. and i thought that was that was that was awesome yeah and I'll, i can skip the behind the blocks uh angle for the 100 meters it didn't help at all it's ridiculous no. it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't give any context you can't even see anybody else you just see the one person you're like okay great yeah um the cool other stuff that the heat the the hot seat for the for the little cues in the 800s and lower was kind of fun there was a, a moment where the mascot like scared the hell out of one of the the poor ladies sitting there waiting it was quite funny but um but on the little cues it was good to not see them in the 1500 or above it was really cool the racing was really meaningful um it just was what it was um yeah. so i mean it probably means that a couple of people didn't quite give it as much towards the end but i think the races in general were better for the spectator so um yeah, I, I thought that was an upgrade. Yeah, agreed. Like I said, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, and it's like the we person did, yeah. that doesn't doesn't fully understand the mini queue. It's just so much simpler to understand now. It's just top yeah. three, top four, top six, straight through mini queue yeah. doesn't, <laughs> doesn't it's irrelevant, and it does change the way that the heats are run a little bit to some extent too. Knowing that if you're yeah if you're in a it's, it's sort of irrelevant as to as to the pace of the first few laps. Yeah, it makes it much more fair for the like second, third. Or even you know for every, all heats really that's yep. what it boils down to. It makes it much more much more fair. So, a couple of random things that I saw um, for those again, it's not really uh, distance running, but there was a Nigerian hurdler, Amusan. Uh, she was allowed mm. to. She was a she was a previous champion. She was allowed to race despite like having had three missed whereabouts failures, but uh, she was running under an appeal, so she'd be banned, but was appealing it and so could run. Um, and it's yeah, I just. We can't be doing this. She missed, like, there's no debate that she missed these three. It's not like, a, oh, was it, you know, is my B sample being tested or anything like this? It's not a it's not a gray area. She missed three. It doesn't matter why, in my opinion. Like, you have these rules we've talked before about, you've talked about the whereabouts program, how you were on it and, like, how you had to change it and all these things and, and missing one. And that's fine. There's a reason it's three and not one. Yeah. But, like, at three, now it's a real discussion. Like, Yeah. Is it, that it, is that normal to be out of appeal and continue to race? I've never I've never heard of that before. Well, I mean, you can appeal and, and perhaps get to race. Usually they don't usually it's not talked about because the appeals are happening in the background before it's announced. So it's kind of they don't announce it. Like, kind of like this Peter Ball situation that we talked about as well as like you, you generally wait until the process is done before you announce it for these reasons, right? Like if she's appealing it and it's real, then like, okay, if she gets off, then it, then there's a whole bunch of slander that's happened for her name during the, the championships and, and all sorts of stuff. And like, that's, you know, it's reputational risk, but uh, this feels like it's a little bit more, more black and white than like a uh, testing samples and stuff. It's like, you've literally just missed three. Now, again, you can argue all sorts of reasons for that, but like, it's also you're coming into the championships and you're coming into the Olympics next year. Like there's no shortage of testing and there shouldn't be, uh, you, you should be able to be tested. So whether or not she's, you know, uh, doping or not is irrelevant. She's broken the rules and it's like, it's pretty black and white in that respect. Um, yeah. so yeah. So and I just, 
it's your, it's your, if you're at the world championships, you've qualified for the world championships. I might be off. I might be naive in saying this, but for the most part, it's your, it's your full-time job if you're at this level. And so you, this is part of you. This is part of the job. You need to be able to, again, missing one test is, is something that can be done by just being a little bit forgetful being like, okay, yep. I forgot, but missing three in a, in a period of time is yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> as a professional athlete competing at the highest level i think you need to be you need, you need to be better than that yeah yeah it is your job you, you've nailed it like it's literally your job you had you, know, you had get one job like it maybe not but it's i mean i've seen people go to the toilet walk out and have the testers turn up and they just like rolled their eyes and started sculling water it's like that that's where we're at like this is what we have to do right there's no question like this is just this is part of my job, right? And this is, these weren't professionals. These were amateurs, but you know, they were on the testing pool because they've gone to the Olympics. So like, okay, hmm. so be it. Um, Another random a, thing. A little, yeah, bizarre moment. There was a, in the women's 3000 steeple, there was a false start, like not in the final, but in one of the heats, I was just like, what are we doing? You shouldn't be false <laughs> starting here. Like there's lots of reasons this could happen, but it was just a moment where I was just, I was watching, I was just, I just had this like eye roll of like, well, what are we doing team? It's not even 800. Like your start really doesn't matter in the 3000 steeple. So, yeah, I just wonder if be doing that. Uh, potentially could have been, uh, you know, a, a noise from the stadium that caused someone to to jump the mark. Potentially, we don't really know. We had a look into it, and wasn't yeah. it wasn't very clear. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think it probably was something like that. But yeah, it was just a funny moment. Thankfully, no one like missed out or anything like that. No one got disqualified. But it was just like a yeah, it just we can't be doing that. Um, and then like a question that came up to me, a, a real observation is like the depth of european running at the moment particularly in the 5000 and the 1500 like it's significant there's some really good depth there and some real young people as well like i mentioned corne the the latvian 5000 meter runner um in the in the heat she was unbelievable she's like 19 or something went off the front showed all sorts of guts to just go off the front by herself and like started to die in the last lap or so but like she still qualified for the semi and she's I would assume she had no hope of qualifying for that semi if she just sat with them and tried to kick with everyone else. Right. So not only does she show ability, uh, she shows guts and then inside tactical insight and tactical now. So you're like, I'm going off the front here. Cause like, this is the only way I'm going to qualify for a semi. Um, and then there's all sorts of arguments about exposure and all those things. And like, you know, we're talking about it on a podcast and we have no interest in talking about Latvian runners on this podcast. And it's not to say we don't want to, it's just, there's no reason we should be talking about her failing her doing this. If she qualifies without running like that, I don't even notice her. So, you know, like I say a lot to say the depth of European uh, running at the moment is really interesting. Uh, and I'm wondering, like, I I've got some thoughts about why, but do you, do you have any thoughts around what may be driving it? Um, I mean, definitely the Jakob influence is real. Um, I think his, his, training methodology has has influenced a lot of people and clearly that's been the case for at least singling out the young uh, Norwegian Nordisk who was third in the yep. 1500 and almost took took out Jakob's uh, silver medal. Jakob's dad's his coach. There's big Norwegian beef there apparently. So Yeah, but uh, yeah, a lot of people have adopted the double threshold days. Now that's partly thanks to Jakob, partly thanks to just general um, education in, in distance training. But I do know that quite a lot of those Europeans in the 1500 meter final, at least, sort of do follow. A, 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 I'm not clear on Josh Kerr, but at least quite a few of the others do sort of uh, follow that sort of training methodology of, of a lot of threshold running, quite often double threshold days. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you rewind the clock back 
10, 15 years ago, most of that top eight is African um, from, you know, from, from memory. And now it's mostly European. So um, it's, yeah, it's awesome to see. Um, I'm not really clear on any other reasons other than just pure, um, you know, uh, financial aspects. Maybe there's just more incentive now, um, you know, yeah. very well could, could have been a bump up in the last five to 10 years. I'm, I'm not sure about this, this point. Uh, yeah. I might be, I might be off the mark, but I know at least, at least on on running a uh, or now on a, or investing a lot in in middle distance and long distance and offering you know lots of contracts um, that then as a result has probably pushed up other contracts in other um, with other brands as well to compete with them to keep them potentially I, I have heard of that in in some small ways so uh, yeah what do you think I think it's quite a few things I think often this happens with role modeling um, you have uh, somebody who does well from your country or in that race or something else and people want to be that person right and that usually takes some time right so it would have been an olympic games a handful of years ago so i think uh maybe that's not so relevant for some people but maybe it is for others um there's often an aspect of so to use the british runners for instance like there's often money poured into a home games that then trickles through for for years to come so sydney in australia you had good really good performances for like probably two games after that like an eight-year cycle following that games and then it sort of starts to dwindle a bit and so we're sort of in that realm there are thereabouts for for the British runners to some degree, and and you have the home games, which really spurns kids on, right? And they want to get involved because they see it, at, it; they can really touch it. So there's aspects of that, I'm sure, for some of the countries. Um, I think, as you said, um, some of the training methodology, um, which if not popularized, you you miss a subset of people who respond to that. You could argue it's better, worse, or indifferent, or you could say, well, hang on, it probably works the best for a subset of people. And maybe those are the people who have discovered it because it's been popularized. And we talked about what that looks like in Marius back in, in the genesis of that double threshold back in a previous episode. So go back and listen to that if if you're interested. Um, I think the financial aspects you mentioned, I think go both ways. There's probably more money and more prestige in being these um, successful in the track in certain, some places, for instance, Norway now than there was historically perhaps. But there's probably the other thing happening in Kenya, which is, or for some of the East Africans, not just Kenyans, which is there's actually more money to be made on the roads and it's easier to make the money. So, yeah. so let's let's shift to the roads earlier rather than go running like Kelvin Kipton. Historically, Kipton would have been running the 5,000, 10,000 at the moment, not the marathon, but like he can go make, make way more money running marathons. So why not? And so when that's the driver or a huge driver for you, then it makes a lot of sense to go to the roads really early. Um, and so I'm sure there's probably increased talent development because i don't like your talent pool in places like norway is pretty small you don't have a lot of people so better talent development comes there and better coaching and we talked about training systems and then i think um also different talent coming against you from other places right um and look at times the times are not necessarily that much better at the moment than they were historically and uh, you could say hey there was a lot of doping previously and there isn't now and that's mm -hmm. one one reasonable argument the technology is way better now so you know the spikes and the tracks and the all the things are, are much better now and the training and the all the things so yeah I, I don't necessarily think the human race is progressing but i think the do like dominance in certain areas maybe um so it's yeah it's, it's really interesting and then uh, as we sort of said the role model aspect so like maybe there's a generation of kenyans who are really looking at Ilya Kipchoge and therefore they, yeah. and they didn't get to, and they didn't get to watch his his track career and so yeah now so they, it might, they, it might not really there. be it might not really be that there's depth in Europe it might just be that less Kenyans are racing the middle distance well <laughs> I mean East Africans well to yeah I mean in championships like this you've kind of got a, a, a limit in the Olympics you've got limits on the number of people who can run so like 
it's maybe the quality is different, right? Maybe you're just seeing the quality is is maybe a little bit less. And so it's a bit more of a level playing field, but it's hard to know. Like there are so many factors at play at all times, but it was a really interesting thought um, that sort of, or an observation there and an interesting question that came up, I thought. So yeah. Um, let's get onto some like the, the racing themes uh, that we sort of saw and some things to take away. And then maybe with a view to Paris as well. Um, so like, I mean, when I say championship race, what do you think, right? Versus something else. What do I think about, uh, well, it's tends to be no pacemaker. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's real mixed bag. You sort of, I was watching the women's 800 last night and we were all predicting what the first lap would be. And, um, you know, in, in 800, it's, it's, it's it's always a, a complete mystery as to what that first, that first lap. And to some extent, you can say the same thing about the 1500 because there has been Olympic games and world championships that have been won in um, sub 330, well, many of them actually over the last sort of 10 years. But, um, you know, the first lap of that women's eight last night was 56.02, which is faster than the world record pace. Um, uh, But yeah, you sort of never know what you're going to get. And it depends on what the individuals in the race's plan are. You know, clearly I think continuing on the theme of the women's 800, clearly her tactic last night was to try and take it out hard and, and to and to run away with the race sort of like how Radisha did in the London Olympics and, and go from gun to tape didn't work for her she tied up big time in the last 100 meters but yeah it's 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 way more exciting watching these races in my opinion in the diamond leagues especially after you've watched quite a few diamond leagues that you know that there's going to be a pace there you sort of know what the pace is going to be then it's just about can they hang on for the world record or for the meeting record or for or for or for the European record or whatever they're going for? Whereas in these ones, yeah. it's a tactical affair where you have no idea what the first lap's going to be. There's no pace. There's no. There's very rarely discussion before the race between the athletes as to as to what this first lap's going to look like or what the first half of the race is going to look like. Um, and but what I found really strange uh, last night in the men's five k was that they completely, the whole field played right into the hands of the 1,500 guys that ended up clearly first and second in Moketeer and Ingebrigtsen, um, with the first couple of K being at 13.30 pace. There was that Kenyan, uh, I, I don't recall his name, Kip, Kip something. Um, but I think it was, uh, yeah, I think it was yeah. Krop. Uh, I think it was Krop uh, yeah. or something. Um, yeah. And yeah, he went off, it was a young kid, went off the front. But I think, like historically, when when people say championship racing, they think tactical. They think perhaps surgy. Yeah. They think fast finishing, and that like almost it's almost exclusively what happened in these championships. Be it less so the three thousand steeples, but like five thousands, ten thousands, fifteen hundreds to some degree the eight hundreds were pretty similar to that. Like for the most part, um, they were. I think tactical is a really, really um, a, like a really good way to describe it. I mean, in the men's and women's eight hundreds, your um, your two winners did the same. They're both known as front runners. Both psyched out or or tactically switched up for the final. They both sat to the back instead of going to the front. They went to the back and waited and then kicked through to finish. Right, both of them in the men's and women's finish. Um, and then interestingly, some of the you know the key two battles I think that most people were talking about was Athingmu versus Kelly Hodgkinson at least in Britain because Kelly Hodgkinson's a big deal here and she's gotten second a bunch of times. Um, and then. Uh, they were talking about Jakob, right, and, and who could beat him or if anyone could beat him. And in both situations, they had a very distinctive running quirk, which was Jakob's been beaten the last 200. So Josh Kerr clearly did that, right, is I'll do the same pattern. Mounting Mu uh, historically has run wide in lane one with the intention of pushing people wider. And Keely actually knew this, or it looks like she knew this, and took the inside line to go past her to come second and, and you know, I think came, came third. So what I'm saying here is this clearly, A, 
a big tactical component to this and be a lot of analysis of the competition and how to win from a strategic tactics point of view. And that's really cool to see. And part of the problem we have is without, you know, maybe this is where the drive to survive series comes in is like, you don't know that until someone tells you that, right? There are probably listeners here who didn't really take too much. I mean, maybe the Josh Kerr thing is probably a little bit more obvious, but like the Atsingu being a little bit wider and then Keely taking that inside line is a little bit nuanced because it's pretty rare to pass on the inside, but if someone runs wide in lane one, it's a real chance. So um, yeah, I think that sort of stuff is where we need to have a bit of a league and, and maybe where the Diamond League has potential but falls short because of the pacemakers, because of the, the time trial style rather than it's a season-long racing and you need to accrue points, right, and time doesn't matter. Um, yeah, but I think that was really cool to see. And, and I think, you know, we'll talk a little bit about this um, going forward, but there's there's stuff to, to learn here for Paris and when we're watching for Paris. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we have some data here, but I think – you sort of alluded to this uh, in the 800 thing is like, you just need to be really fast to win. And that sounds ridiculous as a statement because yes, these are the fastest people in the world, but I'm not talking about you need to have a fast 5,000 meter time. You need a fast 400 meter time and 200 meter time. Like hmm. it's ridiculous now what's happening. I mean, Faith Gipiagon closed the 1500 in 56.63 and then the 5,000 in 56.59. So she closed faster in the 1500 than she did in the 5,000 in the, sorry, the 5,000 faster than the 1500. Her last 200 of the 5,000 was 27.12. Oh, that's legitimately quick. Um, I Like, I can't run that fast as a, like, just, I just can't do it. So, <laughs> I mean, there, there becomes a, if you're not fast enough, you don't get to race. That's, and this is where some of the guys historically, uh, and and often Australian runners, um, as our bias is, is a little bit there, is they probably have a good PB, but they probably don't have the top end speed to really compete. So when it comes to tactical races, which almost all championships are, they really struggle, right? Because sitting at, you know, just because you can run a minute faster, it doesn't help if you don't do it, right? And so unless you're going to go off the front, like we talked about before, you get beaten. And that's like, it's, you're trying to cap your downside risk. You're trying to avoid failure of going out and then blowing up and everyone goes, oh, what what a stupid tactical decision. Instead of rolling the dice, you just sit in there and you try your best and you go, well, they were faster than me. I couldn't finish like that. So... 100% 100% agreed. I mean, it's easy for us to to talk about this and say, get faster, guys. It's not that hard. Uh, we're fully aware how hard it really is to train both oh, no. systems. But I'm, um, I'm, I'm very aware that this is like, a lot of this is you're born with it. Like, yeah, a lot of that's yeah I, know, I was about to I was about to say that. Yeah, a lot of it is is is, is neurological. Um, but I mean, in the men's 5,000, the last lap last night, Jakob Britson winning was 52-4, but that wasn't even his last lap. That was the last lap of the person that split first with a lap to go and then he crossed the line so he was probably 51-9 52-0 now a lot of guys in that 5000 meter field probably couldn't even run that for a 400 in a race so they'd be yeah. flat out doing that and he's doing that after 4600 meters at 1320 pace so yeah. it's yeah it's it's just like you said it's it's one of those things where if, if you're not able to i mean i think i think the 1500 was 52 high or 53 very low from from Kerr yeah. off, off a fast pace so they're yeah. already accumulating, you know, lactic pretty early on and still able to close that quick. And um, he also ran, I mean, Kerr's big thing was he ran 200 fast, right? And Nordas, who came third, but like, listen, if the race was like 1,550 meters, he might have won that thing. Yeah. Um, he ran a like an 11 second hundred or something, or like very close. It was either low 12 or like high 11s. Like that's legitimately quick, yeah. just, just fast. And you could argue maybe he left it a little bit late, but like, you need to go, if you're talent IDing these people as children, 
you need to go find like youth 200 meter runners to be middle distance runners. Like if you're a good 200 meter runner when you're a kid, you're probably going to be a 5,000 meter runner. Like those are the kids you need, not the kid who can run a long time. Like, yeah, they're probably too slow to which that was me, right? Like you need the kid who's really quick and then you train them to have speed endurance and fatigue resistance. Cause fundamentally these guys need to have enough fatigue resistance to not be too decimated at the end of 4,600 meters to then run their 52. Yeah. That's kind of like what you're training for. And you've got a cool story about, um, Faith Kipiagon, don't you, recently? Yes. So being, I've been here in Kenya for four weeks and, and a day now. And I didn't see this personally, but an Australian friend of mine who's who's up here training, um, he was down at the track, uh, would have been three weeks ago now, I think. Yeah, on a Tuesday. And he witnessed one of Faith Kipiagon's uh, workouts as she was preparing for for the Budapest World Champs. And, and she did six by a K. Uh, in 255 down to 251 now this is on a dirt track by the way this is not on a this is not on a on a tartan track it's actually really sad to think about the fact that in this whole area which is the running hub it's an Eldoret area there's actually no tartan tracks available to use right now the the only one that's available to use is under construction um uh, very typical in kenya uh but there's a few dirt tracks and she she did six by k in 255 down to 251 and then five 200s i believe could have been six it was either five or six in 27 28 which is you know the her finishing speed in the 1500 and the in the 5k um so she's really preparing for that pace at the end of of the race by replicating it in workouts which is already pretty tired because i mean six by a k and 251 255 on a dirt track i mean i mean i know the altitude of 7000 feet 2100 meters is probably not really affecting her that much given she was born and raised here but i mean a dirt track is is a good 2 seconds i reckon slower than a tartan track maybe more so you know these k's are equivalent to doing them in sort of 245 to 250 i reckon on a on a uh, on a tartan track with 2 minutes jog recovery um and then to be doing 200s in 27 28 that just shows how fast she is um would be cool to see her line up in the 800 and see how she fares against these ladies i reckon she'd give them a good go yeah i mean and that speaks to you know specific preparation as well and, and how you need to be training for these things it's not a matter of just like oh let's get my vo2 max up and, and make sure i do enough threshold running it's like nah you need to be preparing specifically like let's induce fatigue and then let's run fast and like you know you need to be fast enough to start with so yeah yeah that's that's super cool insights there um yeah i think let's quickly touch on the probably probably everyone's favorite athlete at the moment safana san some really weird interviews, some really strange stuff. Oh, and look, man. there could be, there could easily be a language barrier there. And look, as somebody who's trying to learn languages, like I would not want to be interviewed in, uh, in Dutch or in, in French or anything like this. So, so we'll concede that, but, um, she, she seems to me, it could just be that she's racing for the right reasons, like just out there to enjoy it, right. And really framing it that way. And I, I think good honor, if that's the case, like that's, it's hard, but I, you know, hopefully you still love it and you want to do it and you want challenges. Like it's cool. And maybe that's why she's got the crazy racing schedule we've talked about and doing these things. But there's also the story of her. She loses the 1500 final on the line to faith, then goes out. Um, you know, she said four races in four days, goes out that evening and went to the warm-up track and was doing 400s in like 64 to 65 with 30 to 40 seconds between and did at least five of them. Apparently like this is a tweet that was online I, yeah. from Cathal uh Dennehy and I was just like are we I mean I guess if you're prepping for the 5,000 if you think the stimulus wasn't enough if it's you know like you can argue listen it's a stressful day as it is you're better off loading up a bit more volume and then having some easy days afterwards uh, rather than trying to train otherwise especially if you've got view towards you know the marathon although I don't know if that's a marathon session um no that's yeah, what I was I mean it's it, interesting. Would have, it would have been almost made more sense if she'd gone out and done like a 30 minute threshold run it would have been like okay that's very clearly 
keeping Chicago Marathon in mind in six weeks, but doing was it five four hundreds four or five four hundred yeah, yeah. yeah at least five know, yeah seems maybe it's seems maybe it was unusual yeah maybe it's priming for the five thousand I don't know but I mean yeah. this is where we're at these, these athletes are very different to to you know what we uh, yeah what we're used to I think I heard something about Castle Warholm doing something extra I won't say too much but because I, I could be misremembering but yeah it's these athletes are those sort of people now they will go do that stuff they've got that capacity um i think briefly touch on the marathons and then maybe some learnings uh going forward uh for uh paris so like the women's marathon i probably found more interesting than the men's marathon um it was really tactical stuff like really surgy um and and like surge through drink stations i think we could do better with drink stations whether or not this is the plan right maybe it, the goal is to make them surge through drink stations but like it'd be good if they sort of split them up because what happens is you're in this pack and people surge to go get their bottles because it's in yeah whatever anyway um they hit half in like 74 and a half um and then all of a sudden from 25 to 30 k's it kicked off they're in a 16 35 like really went the the, Ken, the ethiopians are working as a bit of a team yeah, um definitely yeah, it was it was interesting. And then like, you know, the 34 to 35 kilometer mark, they ran a 309. 30 to 35, they ran 16, 16, um, which is really interesting. So what what you've got again is same same theme is if you can't run a 16 minute 5k, doesn't matter what your marathon time is, right? And I think the what we're starting to see in these races, because the heat is a huge factor too in all these races from basically 800 meters up, maybe 1500 meters up. Um there were sort of three distinct people. There are the people who know they can win. There are the people who think they can win. And there are the people who are like happy to compete. Um, right. And the people who think they can win or, or, or think they can place for the two first groups, the people who know they can win and the people who think they can pace, you probably have to stay at the front, right? It's that real Kenyan uh, Japanese style of running. of just like, I'm just going to hang on. And if I pop, I pop, right. It's kind of the way to do it. The alternative, if you think that you can place and you know that that's going to happen in front of you is actually, I'm going to run a really disciplined race and not surge with these people and not pop and run to RPE and come through. And the, like the best example is probably Scott Formal at Boston every year where he just like, he knows, and then he comes through and gets seventh. And, you know, one day maybe that won't be seventh, but, um, and the, you see these people and Lindsay Flanagan was one of them from the U S she yeah, just sat she really well. consistently. Yeah. And then yeah. ran top 10 and you saw people in front of her surging and probably the best, the best, um, example of the opposite is, is Kira D'Amato. And obviously she had some reported problems with her legs. Um, she sort of had some cramping or whatever, or some other issues. But I guess if you watch Kira's tactics, she stayed with the front runner. She was like, listen, when they surge, I'll go with them and it's fine. Right. So she made those choices. And Lindsay was at one point actually said, listen, you guys go and, and I'll sit off the back here and then ran through strong. Right. And it, it, it's not really a commentary on which one's right or wrong. I know which one I would choose personally. I'd be choosing to run a more consistent race, but that's just a, I'm risk averse in that respect. Uh, and I and you know it's hot and and you know that people are going to pop, but you just never know who, right? And, and one of the challenges you always know is you never really know where you are because people pop and walk off and you don't know. So, yeah, I think and then there's the third group and the third group is trying to run well, and I think they probably over, often overperform, right? We talk about who's underperformed and overperformed. I think the people who, um probably run a more consistent race, tend to overperform, so to speak, um, because the other people pop and, and don't do as well. So, uh, I mean, the the real interesting one, um, and I know you're a little bit cynical about this, was um, was the Moroccan uh, Gaudardi. Uh, she ran a 14-second PB in the heat uh, to come third, and that was really... 
Sorry, 14 seconds. Oh, she, I thought you said, okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah not, not 14 minutes. Because then I'd be cynical as well, mate. 14 minutes is a bit much in that heat. She ran a 14-second PB in that heat, um, you know, on a course that wasn't super flat. Uh, she ran pretty disciplined. She ran with the front group for a lot of it, but was like she would sort of let them surge off the front and then sort of pick them up as they came back to her. So hmm. she was probably hybridizing the the strategy I mentioned where she'd sort of ran with the front, but also would like let them surge a bit and not worry too much about it. Hmm. Yeah, no, that was, um, I, I do remember the commentator sort of saying that nobody would have placed money on her to, to podium. I was completely unfamiliar with her beforehand, but um, yeah. yeah, phenomenal race. You know, Morocco Likewise. does have a pretty rough history with, uh, with, with doping. Uh, you know, you have to acknowledge that fact. Um, and yeah. let's, yeah, let's hope she, she comes out clean. And um, if so, then, then phenomenal result from her. Cause I don't think there's too many other people running PBs in, uh, in, in Budapest, the world champs in the marathon. No. no, and maybe it's maybe she's pretty early in her marathon career. Was a bit risk averse and did that because, like, look, running a a small like that's not a huge PB. That's a that's a relatively small PB in the marathon. Like running that on, if you've had a really good block and it's in your really early, relatively early in your marathon career, that makes some sense. Like I get it, but but I don't know enough about it. I, you know, we usually try and be really prepped and primed for these episodes. Like we wanted to get this one out pretty fresh. I didn't look into her enough my apologies uh listeners we can go look into her if, if we want but yeah. the man's marathon um yeah it's probably it's very surgy they went 65 through half they ended up negatively splitting it um or closer sort of evens for for the winners um i mean probably the most interesting thing was i can't remember the guy's name the israeli guy came like got second in the last 100 meters which was just it's always, yeah. always awesome to watch that um but as we thought i think pretty slow 30ks started to pick it up one thing that I think, and, and this will leverage us into probably the the Paris talks, is obviously the heat is a factor. Uh, so it starts off slower and then they sort of kick off a little bit. But the hill in this race, so this the course had one fairly, it's not super hill, but it, it was a hill, it was a bridge. They went over it four times. Um, and this is where the moves are made in both races. Significant moves are made in both races about this uh, at this point. So, um, yeah. They just went for it on the hill and it really made a break. Um, it was Bariso Shankulu, uh, so Br- formerly Amani Bariso now. I think she's Bariso Shankulu, um, or is how she's being spoken about, did the same in the men- in the women's race. Um, she did really well. Uh, she was won it. So I think we're going to start seeing more and more of this, Yeah, dropping people on hills when you're, you, know, you start to surge on the hill and really put the sword to people and put some distance into them and then chill out after that. And I think um, we'll see that in Paris, given the hilliness of that course. Yeah, it would really determine where these athletes are preparing for the uh, for the championship as well, I guess, because we have spoken before about the Paris uh, Olympics marathon course. It's uh, yeah, it's similar elevation gain to Boston, but without the net downhill. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch that one. Yeah, and I think you'd be mad not to prep a for the heat and do some serious heat prep. Um, but given that it's going to be hot, maybe not quite as hot, but but it's going to be hot, and and then prepping for the course. So yes, you need to run some hills, but it's not as much as like, oh yeah, I do some hills in training. It's like, no, no, no. What's the type of hill? How steep is it? Uh, how am I going to cope with it? How am I going to prep for it at that point of a race? Like if it was me, this was my marathon, I would be like, all right, can I get to the course? If I can't get to the course, can I simulate the course? Can I do a hill at that time in my long runs? Can I practice running really hard up a hill at that, you know, with that sort of fatigue in my legs? Like that's the sort of stuff I'd be doing in the heat you know, obviously not all, every session, but like, that's how I'd be thinking about it. Similar to what we talked about before with Faith Kipiegon, bunch of four, 400s at race, oh, sorry, a bunch of 1Ks at probably quicker than race pace and then a bunch of 200s. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
it was uh it was I was actually a little bit disappointed. Um Abdi Nagi didn't uh so we filmed a workout with him, um Sweat Elite did that is eleven days before and he was um you know very clearly in the best shape, or at least he was telling us he was in the best shape he's ever been in, even before his Paris uh uh, sorry, before his Tokyo Olympic Games silver medal, um, yeah. I was really expecting him to be up there in the in the at least in the top ten or or hopefully in the top three. I thought he was a favourite to win, but uh, dropped out at twenty, it was twenty seven and a half k. So haven't checked in with yeah. him to see what happened, but I do know he went through with the lead packet, uh, you know, with, with them at halfway, but then fell off around 25, 26 and was about twelve seconds back at that point because. Uh, pretty cool. The World Athletics website has every kilometre um, split and where everyone is. So I could actually track to see how far he was back at 25K and he was about 12 seconds and he and he wasn't on the results at 28. So a uh, bit of a bummer. I was hoping he'd be up there. Um, always a, a, a fun athlete to to watch race. Um, but yeah, pretty much uh, in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the, the top 10, it was predominantly, you know, Ethiopia, Uganda, uh, Kenya as, as, as usual. Yeah. And then running took out top three. They mm-hmm. they let everyone know. So <laughs> that was interesting. That uh I mean we need another running team to go against them, right? We need this. But anyway. Yeah. Need more relays, more running teams. We've talked about this before, more storylines, all the stuff. Yeah. That's it for another episode of Pro Running News. Again, thanks to all those who've listened. As we said, they're not going to be every week, but they are hopefully um more impactful when we do drop them. Thanks again. Please share with friends, like, rate the podcast, and uh we'll be back soon. Cool. Thanks for listening, guys.